listening to Why Talk Climate, an expert podcast series on mobilizing youth for climate action, produced and directed by BCCIC Climate Change. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Why Talk Climate podcast in season two. I'm joined today by Rayan Kasim. Rayan is an advocate and expert in a variety of fields, including food systems, food security, and climate justice. He is the West Asia Regional Director for Youth for Nature, a youth leader with Act for Food, Act for Change, a youth council member at Real Food Systems, and he's been involved in many global governance processes, including the UN Food Systems Summit, Environmental Program, and Development Program. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me, Eliana. Thank you so much. Amazing. Well, I would like to start off this conversation by asking you what your first experience was taking part in climate action. Is there anything that drew you to food systems in particular? Because I see from your experience that food systems is your focus. That's very true. Yes, food systems are my focus. And that started, I'd say, back in 2018 when the high over the media uh, was about veganism, diets, footprints in general, so environmental impacts of our decisions on a, on a consumer level. And so that led me into me personally changing my own diet and seeing the benefits and then entering into this community. And then I wanted to take it from a scientific perspective because I'm an environmental scientist. And then that led me to publish a paper about the water footprint of different diets in Denmark. And so the, sort of that opened the way into talking about environmental impacts of diets beyond the scope of Denmark itself. And then I joined the Global Youth Biodiversity Network and me and two other of my friends, we, we founded the Lebanese chapter of the Global Youth Biodiversity Network. And sort of that led me into this voluntary advocacy work. And one thing led to another, and then I joined Youth for Nature, and then I joined the Food Systems Summit, and that's how it rolled. At the beginning, with Gibbon, uh, the Global Youth Biodiversity Network, we were advocating for biodiversity protection, but it wasn't from a practical perspective, it was from a policy perspective. So on a national level, a regional, and a global level. And so that if, that sort of shifted the way we think about advocacy, it was, it was mainly like getting a seat at the table. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this more now, but uh, that's the obsession of youth. We want to sit on the table, but what does that really mean? That's really interesting, actually. I want to follow up on that. What does that mean to you? What does it mean for youth to sit at the table? So I want to tell you in today's podcast that most of the time youth, they use almost 60% of their time demanding a seat at the table and then at the same time they're asking decision makers when we do get to sit at the table we still don't have the experience to engage at the table and a third point is that why why does it matter that youth give their opinions right it's it's because they're more creative it's because they're more ambitious and they're more willing to take on hard tasks or new tasks let's say and so they cannot voice that in these conferences because they're spending all that time asking them to sit at the table rather than telling them about their creative solutions. 
Wow, I love that you said that. And it's so true. Like everybody thinks we should engage youth because they're the leaders of tomorrow. But in fact, it's not just that. They're also the leaders of today. They're doing exceptional policy work and exceptional creative work to lead the climate action movement. So definitely, I 100% agree with you. And it sounds like you're working a lot on a lot of very interesting projects, which leads me to my second question, which is, is there an initiative you're working on right now that you're particularly excited about? Ooh, um, there are many initiatives that um <laughs> probably lots. <laughs> <laughs> At Youth for Nature, we're we're creating projects for youth so that they do the change themselves, and then at or with Act for Food, Act for Change, some other ones, and with the United Nations, some other ones. But right now, I would like I would say something that's cooking is an initiative we're calling Real Food Systems, and it's also a youth-led movement for food systems which we're trying to formalize um, officially in Switzerland. And so that becomes a way for us to actually create impact. And that is something that I also want to talk about here. Maybe I won't wait until we dive into that. Go ahead. Maybe I lose <laughs> it. And so coming back to what I told you, that youth spend more than 60% of their time demanding a seat at the table. What happens when these youth actually go to these conferences and we make a speech and we contribute? The one single word summarizes it all. It's recognition, nothing else, nothing else. It's just recognition. So we're being recognized. We're benefiting on a personal level while we're marketed. Um, we're on social media. We have an amazing perspective. But then come six months later when a national plan is being developed, did you take what we did for two years, gathering opinions of 10,000 youth across the world into your action plan? No, you recognized our work, but you didn't include it. And so this year, 2022, I'm, I'm personally cutting that out. It's no more recognition. It's time to make an impact. And so anything that I want to be part of needs to have tangible impacts on the ground. Wow, that gave me goosebumps. I 100% agree, 100%. <laughs> Wow. So you've attended many regional and global governance events as a youth representative, including several UN summits and conferences. What is the role of youth at these events if we want to go beyond recognition? And are youth perspectives truly being included? You said no, uh, but how can we change this moving forward? I don't want to say completely no, that we're just being recognized and nothing's happening. No, that is not true. And in fact, you guys are in Canada. And so us youth, yes, we did impact national plans with the Canadian government over nature-based solutions. That is one example. But with other things, we were able to lead into outcomes and coalitions between really big global organizations just by being part of them. It happened informally after these summits that I was part of one organization, someone else was part of another, but we were all the youth group. And so what happened is that we were indirectly connecting these organizations under what they call youth empowerment, which is us. And so because we're a very small group of youth, we were able to connect these organizations and now they have emerged coalitions about ending food poverty, ending food security, whatever you want to call it. So yes, it's not that it's 100% recognition only no something good is coming out of it but our our main part when we go to these conferences and we sit with um, heads of the united nations is that they tell us you're here to break the, the bureaucracy of our process 
we all work in bureaucratic way. We have very strict um, governance structures and you don't fit into this because you're formally not employed with the United Nations or with these organizations. So you're supposed to be bold. You're supposed to call us out. And so we, we're there to call them out, but sometimes we kind of sink in the water with them because, y y you know, it's just, you go with the flow. And so you always need to realize as a youth, and this might be an advice for anybody who's going to a conference in the future, don't, don't play in the waters wherever, like, you're seeing them play, you know, like, remember why you're there as a youth and remember that as a youth, um, you have that unique positioning not to engage in that bureaucratic space because no one can hold you accountable. No one's paying you at the end of the month. You're going there for free. So, of course, be respectable. But at the end of the day, they brought you because you, you're supposed to be bold. Okay, okay. And how um, or what actions can youth take, bold actions, that could create a lot of change or impact at these conferences? So, short-term, instantaneous is be able to secure a spot to give a speech over there i think that's the that's the fastest way to like let them listen but is as i said it's recognition it's only listening but then after that if you really want to create impact join these global youth movements now more than ever we have emerging youth coalitions and initiatives and organizations that are creating amazing impact you just need to join them you know, just join those organizations. What I'm understanding from you is that we can do a lot at conferences, but sometimes it's the grassroots level work that we really have to like be involved in and get engaged in. So it's it's about dialogue and discussion, but it's also about uh, actually working on these movements, right? Just to be clear, these summits are there for agreements and discussions you won't ever finish the summit and then and then the next day see something new happening. That's not how it works. Yeah, there needs to be like a combination. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how can we enable uh, more youth then, in this case, to join the climate movement? Are there barriers currently preventing more youth from getting involved, do you think? Or barriers to change at regional versus global scales? Let's talk about barriers. Okay, so climate finance is the headline of this discussion. Everybody just stay tuned for a new blog post coming out of with Youth for Nature about climate finance. That's the biggest issue because, as I said, you have all of these emerging youth organizations doing great work, impacting people on the ground, grassroots level, nothing on paper, nothing diplomatic, everything is grassroots, seeing impact on the ground. But the biggest barrier is climate finance. And so most of climate finance goes to the energy sector, the transport sector, and technology. It doesn't really go into climate justice. And so when, when you, when you add that word justice to the climate, the way you disseminate climate of finance changes, now you're supporting NGOs, you're supporting civil society, youth-led movements, you know, local communities, you're no longer just centralizing money with government so that they could go to big renewable energy technology projects, you know, because that doesn't solve climate justice. It might be, of course, it's contributing to end the climate crisis, but the climate crisis is, is, is one thing, but climate justice is also part of it, which is being left out when you only rely on technology. But that's a big debate, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, with these barriers in mind, how do you find joy and support your well-being amidst a movement that can be discouraging sometimes, whether climate finance-wise uh, or otherwise? <laughs> this new term, climate anxiety, is really common now. Yeah, heard it. Mm-hmm. I just say, I mean, it really depends on the way you look at it. For me, I see that, yes, although we might probably not reach the goals we want to on a global level, but we are creating outstanding results. We're the first generation to ever sit down at at these big summits and then actually change policies. At the age of 22, 21, 19, some people were 16 years old with us. If you only focus on that end goal in 35 years, Maybe you'll be disappointed, maybe you'll freak out, but like, if you see how far you've come as an individual, maybe, this is where you'll see a lot of positivity. So celebrate what you've achieved. Yeah, because it's a long Absolutely. road, it's a very long road. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and how do we combat burnout? Like, how, how do we celebrate what we achieved? I think youth are bound to a lot of tokenism, and so they need to be aware of that. Often they're tokenized, so they're asked to do a lot of work for free uh, to contribute a lot of time and capacity. And so I would say just as an individual or even as an organization, just set your own limits and your boundaries in terms of capacity. Like at some point when these youth give speeches or whatever, they get really famous. And so everybody wants them to to support them. And so they really, you, you know, they no longer have time to to do other things. So like, just set your boundaries on an individual level. Mm, I like that. Boundaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have to take care of ourselves at yeah. the same time. Right? Otherwise, sure. you know, it'll be hard to move this this movement forward. I 100% agree. Fantastic. So on your point on tokenizing, actually, and youth having decision-making power in these spaces, we wanted to invite uh, a previous delegate from BCCIC's COP26 delegation to ask a question about this. Hi, my name is Leah Anderson, and I have a question about the role of youth in these decision-making spaces. I went to COP26 with BCCIC for their, with their youth delegation. And this became like a big thing. And at one point, so everything that you've been saying about tokenizing and that youth are included in this representative way, but it's for the benefit of decision makers to make them look better. Like that was a big thing. And at one point we had a conversation with a Canadian MP that was off the record. And it was like the best conversation we had there. And he was like, you do have, like, you are helping them when you take a photo with them because they get to post that photo on their accounts and say, I'm engaging with youth and then ignore everything that you guys discussed. And so I would love to hear you speak a little bit more about kind of this, that youth are being tokenized, but where are the points where youth do have power and like, how can you... I know it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing, which is why I'd love to hear you talk more about it. Like that there is a power in kind of the role that you have, but it can be very easily co-opted by decision makers or turned into something that is not ideal. Like having all of your input ignored, but then serving that decision maker by having, you know, been like, we, they talk to us. So like, yay, good for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I completely agree with what you said and what you mentioned. And 
it has been really tricky and i'd say maybe the only way to to tackle that kind of tokenism is by ex is by experience unfortunately youth haven't been around in this space for too long so they were completely bound to the politics and i've I've been a victim of this on very informal tables, which I cannot mention, but it's real. And so the only way we are learning this is by experience. And hopefully we can pass this down to the, to the youth who are already coming on board. But some new ways is that we know some really big organizations are reaching out to youth-led initiatives and not supporting them, for example, financially or not recognizing their times and efforts. And so one way is to no, just say, no, you know, you're overfunded. You're funding a lot of others. Youth also deserve to be funded if you want their perspectives on it, because it's not as simple as I like this or I, or I agree or I disagree. Please change the sentence. It's, it's not that simple. Like it's a lot of background work. It's a lot of changing people's perspectives and I as I said it's over 10,000 people that we need to collect their perspectives put them in lists and categories and put them down and write in a diplomatic way it's a really big thing when you're trying to influence policies it's not just this is my opinion and that's it so that is one way but I I wouldn't say that my advice for youth is to become really negative and like call them out as it is Unless there's something really big to be demanding, because at the end of the day, you you want to make friends, not enemies. And so, if you're always like hesitant to be like to engage with those you think are actually tokenizing you, that's gonna be really hard for you as an individual or or an organization to enter into that space. Especially as you mentioned at COP26, that happened to many youth, but it's about setting your own boundaries and guidelines before you speak to those people knowing really clear what to you how you personally define tokenism for you as an individual or, or an organization and be able to check the boxes did this person tokenize me here 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 if not go ahead you know because us for example as youth like as youth for nature had amazing partnerships with non-youth organizations at cop26 because we were able to set very clear boundaries and every everybody respected that, it was a success. Mm. We come back to that topic of boundaries. So not yeah. only personal boundaries, but even boundaries and, and these discussions and how we approach these discussions. I love that. Very interesting. Yeah, so you keep saying, so 10,000 people. I'd just love to hear kind of more about that project. How did you collect the, the opinions of 10,000 people? What was the project? Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. When I'm saying 10,000 young people, it's basically more than 10,000. It's just the minimum uh, people we gathered. So for the Food Systems Summit, um, when I went up on stage at the closing plenary and I had to um, represent 10,000 people, it's just to be clear here that whatever I said or whatever my colleagues as youth said during that, uh, like during that summit uh, is not based on our experience as youth advocates. No, it's based on consensus of over 10,000 young people. And how did that happen? It happened over one year of dialogues, okay? Um, the Food System Summit had independent dialogues. This is what they called it. So they were webinars of consensus where people come up and discuss and we, we vote, we had documents, we had agreements. And so all of that gathered over 12 months led to the speeches we gave. Mm. 
Interesting. Into my next question, as a way to wrap up this fantastic conversation, I want to ask you for a climate action of the month. That's just, this is something that we do in every episode where we ask our guest to tell us one um, action that each of our listeners could take this month to support climate justice, as we've talked about thoroughly, and help in the fight against climate change. What action would that be? Big project coming soon on the Ajal podcast, actually, which our podcast, our podcast is not actually a podcast, it's a project. So we're launching what we call the Ajial community, and we're going to put youth themselves who are interested in climate justice. So we're talking about militarization, colonization, and climate leadership uh, within, de- within, de- within democratic systems in the Middle East and North Africa. Oh, that's amazing. But West Asian diasporas could also join. So that's another thing. And so we're going to identify short-term actions, actions, not solutions, actions that youth can go out there and tackle to solve climate justice in a very incremental way. So that if they really want to do the work themselves and see the impact of what that could be, please do join us because this is an open experiment with everybody else, especially with youth between 18 and 30. Can you give an example of what these actions might be within this project? Like, is it including planting a tree or giving a webinar or... Yeah, so this is what we need to identify on the podcast. So the sessions will be to identify these actions. Step two is to send these um, eager young people these actions and ask them, hey, can you test it? Can you test this out in nine months? Can you tell us if this is actual or realistic? Can we apply this? Can we, you know, can we amplify this? Can we do it in other areas around the world? Can this tackle climate justice even though us as individuals cannot dismantle the systems causing climate injustice. So, yeah, it's really nice. So your podcast is called Ajial, am, am I saying yeah, that right? the Ajial podcast. The Ajial podcast. Okay, what that's amazing because you've actually found a way to go from podcast and conversation to community and action. Uh, I think that's really inspiring. So that's two things that you can do moving forward after this podcast episode. After you listen, make sure to listen to the Al Ajial podcast. Correct? Correct. And <laughs> and make sure that you get involved in the Al Ajial community uh, where uh, they're going to identify these actions and you can really make a big difference on climate action. I love that. Thank you so much for, for mentioning that. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about Something maybe that we haven't asked in these questions? I just want to end by saying that this is a really positive space for youth. So everything that our audience might have thought was negative was really me talking about positivity, but from a perseverance uh, perspective. So like, just persevere through it. You will get into hardships. My end... Uh, like note is to tell young people that do not be fooled or do not be lured by the um, the marketing like the marketing side of advocacy because everybody wants to talk to you it's media everybody is interested but don't forget that we need you to make an impact and not a speech or or not to contribute or not to be recognized that time is over we've already been recognized try to make an impact 
Oh my God, I love that. I absolutely agree. We need to like go further than education and advocacy. It's very important and it's very inspiring, but then we have to couple that with action. 100%. Um, and I think a great starting point is to listen to the Ajial podcast. And then right after that, get involved with the community. Rayan, do you, uh, do you also maybe have a LinkedIn or some, a way people can connect with you if they wanted to learn more or a website uh, for Youth for Nature maybe? Yeah, so not even to listen, actually opportunities for our audience. You could follow Youth for Nature's LinkedIn or any social media that they have. Um, it's Y number four nature. Or you can follow me on LinkedIn. That's where I post all of my opportunities for young people. Um, it's just my name, Ryan Kassim. And uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I've learned a lot actually from, from listening to you today. And I hope a lot of people uh, that are going to these conferences or not, working maybe on grassroots organizations or doing both, um, really draw inspiration from this conversation and really move forward on advocacy and action. Thanks for making those two prominent things really, really the center of our discussion today. Um, and it was so great to have you, honestly. I hope um, I hope you continue to create incredible impact and I hope we can collaborate in the future on climate action movements and climate action moving forward. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for bringing this opportunity for people all the way across the world in Canada to connect with someone all the way in the Middle East. That's great. Uh, we could learn a lot and 100% always open to collaborate with anybody. So yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. I mean, it is the British Columbia Council for International Cooperation. So that international piece is is really something that we honor and, and having speakers and lived experiences uh, from around the world is so important. So we couldn't thank you more. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. <laughs>